today we have Chris Handley with us, who is a CDM Health and Safety Director at Concert. How are you today, Chris? I'm good, thank you, Lily. Thank you for inviting me in. Thank you for coming on. We've got lots of questions for you, so let's get cracking. Go for it. First of all, I just want to, before we get on to your current role, I want to discuss a little bit about your journey from school to your profession now and everything in between. Yeah, it's, it's been a colourful one. Um, I left school and did an um, electrical engineering um, course at my local college, computer technology course. And um, I, after about a year, I found myself in Lincoln um, on a shopping trip. And uh, I was sheltering in a doorway in, um, in, that happened to be the Royal Naval Careers Office in Lincoln, uh, sheltering from this downpour. And um, I looked round and I thought, well, this looks like a bit of a giggle, I'll go and do that. Well, so I went to train down to Plymouth, which started a 14-year love affair with the, uh, the sea. Uh, I left the Royal Navy in 2000, but in the, in the 18 months leading up to me leaving, I got to choose what courses I wanted to do in Civvy Street. Yeah. My chosen role in the Navy, which was uh, radar operator, had no connection in Civvy Street, so I had really had nothing, no transferable skills that, that I could use. So I looked at the, um, at the documentation that was pre that presented to me, what courses I could do, and I, uh, I suddenly realised that, you know, I'd spent 14 years on warships, doing all sorts of things. I think when I thought about it, I was actually a bit of a pacifist. Mm. You know, I didn't want to do that sort of thing. I was more of a self-preservationist. So I thought, well, health and safety, that seems to be where, it, where my skills would, would fall. I, I did a, a Nibosh course and uh, was approached by a couple of um, ex-REF guys who had their own company in my, own, in my hometown and they offered me a job. Okay. Um, and that was in 2000. From then on, I've been doing health and safety all the time. So when you were in the Navy, though, you had sort of a role within, when you took on responsibilities with, with health and safety. How yeah. could you then apply that afterwards? Well, you can't because the, the, the military style health and safety back then in the, in the 80s and 90s yeah. uh, wasn't really health and safety as we'd recognise it now. It was more um, you're looking at a computer screen or a radar screen and you're sat, na you're sat next to a, a magazine full of, full of weaponry, full of missiles. You know, that, is that sort of health and safety. Yeah. No smoking, no naked lights, that sort of thing. <laughs> so leaving the Navy and taking on what essentially in my first roles was slips, trips and falls, you know, looking at the basic elements of health and safety, you couldn't, there was no comparison. Did it feel like a step backwards at all? Like, Well, it did, um, in that um, it was a massive pay drop for me, the, the forces paid well. And financially, it was, a, it was a step backwards, but um, I wasn't living two lives, you know, life up in the yeah. Midlands and a life on the sea, um, which all needed funding. Um, but from a from a um, professional perspective, uh, no, it was a step forward because I would, I'd left the Navy behind me and I was going forward in health and safety, which was completely different. It was a whole new world to me. They are completely two different worlds. Oh, definitely. <laughs> what sort of qualifications did you need for your first role? I, I sat my um, NEBOS general certificate, um, which at the time was one of the most difficult qualifications to gain. It had a very high failure rate. So to pass it was, you know, was good. Once you, if you'd passed your NEBOS, 
um, in 99, 2000, uh, a prospective employer would know that you, you know your stuff, you, you, you've actually sat and you've learned yeah. what you need to learn. There was a few exams that I, could, I sat in the Navy, but they were just like you know, half a day online courses. Okay. How long did the Nibosh one take? It was six months of one day a week. Right. So it was a, a, about 20, 20 sessions, something okay. like that. I went up to Sheffield every week for that. You do the NEBOSH general certificate and then um, if you're going to go into construction side of things, then you do the NEBOSH construction certificate. Uh, you can do then the, uh, the, the NEBOSH diplomas. Okay. Uh, and there's a whole mass of qualifications you can get in it, which as an alternative to NEBOSH. Um, but uh, my recommendation would be go for the NEBOSH get that under your belt, um, and then just get out there and listen to people. Yeah. You know, there's nothing better than experience. And I find that listening to what I would call the old guard, you, you go onto any construction site, and there's always this little old chap who's yeah. been there, done that, and he's built everything, um, and probably helped build the pyramids. Yeah. But you know, he's, he'll always say, oh, I've been building houses before you were born, boy. Yeah. That sort of thing. And listen to them people, because they know what the problems are with building houses, building commercial premises. Okay. So listen, get out there and listen. So a lot of it is sort of learning on the job. Definitely, yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about um, maybe the more challenging jobs that you have to work on? Or I don't know if that if that's more exciting for you. I, I tell you, I think the most challenging thing I did, I've ever done, um, was Derby Hippodrome. Derby Hippodrome was a, was, um, um, a theatre in Derby, mm -hmm. um, which was accidentally knocked down. Um, it was uh, accidentally. It was accidentally knocked down. Um, uh, there was a fire, mm -hmm. and the contractor was tasked with um, removing the interior, the, the fire damaged interior, and. Uh, the, the stage had collapsed, the, the, the seating had collapsed uh, with the fire, um, and he needed to get a safe access up to the inside of the flat roof. Um, it, was, it wasn't a flat roof, it was a flat roof around the outside, but there was a bit of a dome. Mm -hmm. And um, long story short, um, the local authority asked him to just, he couldn't, because he couldn't get safe interior access, he said, well, I've got to approach it from the outside, I have to go through the roof, big concrete roof. Is uh, well, just get um, a pecker attachment on a on ex long reach excavator and knock a hole in the roof. Right. So the contractor said, "Well, we can't do that. We can't just do it. anyway." I'm, I'm getting <laughs> the legal side. Um, I can't really comment any more on that. But it was exciting for me because, and it was challenging because um, the whole roof collapsed, mm -hmm. uh, which the contractor told the client it was going to do. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the exciting, challenging part for me was then representing the client in the Royal Courts of Justice okay. and going into that, going into the expert witness side of things um, and, and, and putting a defence together based on health and safety um, was brilliant, was fantastic. That was the highlight of my career. Wow. You know, when well, was this? This was back in, would have been... 2010, 2011, something okay. like that. You can Google uh, Derby Hippodrome yeah. uh, and you, you'll probably see all the article. Um, the sad part is we lost. Oh. Uh, it wasn't down to my expert witnessing, it was down to a technicality on the structural side. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it, it was exciting, it was really challenging that was. Um, apart from that, it was. I've done some quite interesting uh, power generation plants which mm -hmm. Um, and I was I was tasked with helping a company who were putting together um, emergency 
power generation plants. And what they did was they provided power when um, um, well, well, there was a name for it, uh, half-time syndrome, uh, Coronation Street syndrome. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not syndrome, it's not the right word. I can't think of the right word, but um, halfway through a football match, they have half-time and the whole nation disappears into the kitchen and puts the kettle on. Oh, yeah, OK, I think I've so about this. So, as a country, we have a minimum that power can go to before they start. They need to put power into the national grid. And these power, state, power generation plants around the country were there to boost the, um, the power that we had. So when, they, when the whole nation put the kettle on, um, it didn't oh, drain the power down too far. And it was, going back to the AI side of things, it, yeah. it was interesting because these massive great sites, size of a five-a-side football pitch, mm-hmm. these generators, 80-odd generators on these sites, um, and the, the chap in charge had it all on his iPhone, all across the country, all these different power generators. There was 13 of them that I did. Um, I just, oh yeah, that one needs some power, I'll just turn that one on, all from his iPhone. And we're going back to when that iPhones were quite... Yeah, the power that man has. <laughs> yeah. I mean, nowadays, he can probably sit on the on a beach in Marbella or something yeah. and, and just go, oh, so I'll just turn the power onto that generator. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is quite insane when you think about it, but that's just how the AI side would work. Okay. Um, I kind of wanted to ask about what an average day looks like for you. You know, I obviously you say every, every job is different, yeah. but... I don't think there is an average day, mm. um, excluding the um, the commute to work, which is pretty much the same every day, two yeah. hours two hours each way. Okay. Um, you get into the office, and I could be going to a building site. I could be going to a bank. I could be going all over. But I could be delivering a um, a, uh, a CPD session mm-hmm. uh, to an architect. Uh, anything. It's, it, every day is different. Or I could be sat doing fee proposals or reviewing documentation in the office, okay. which is a nice day because I can just sit there and relax. Then just <laughs> yeah. walking around the city, getting my steps up. Lovely. It must be nice though seeing some sights. Oh yeah, you see some lovely sights. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's beautiful. So, am I right in thinking um, you sort of have a two-pronged approach where you have with each job a set of deliverables and then also additional risks that you have to assess that maybe you yeah, weren't are, included? Yeah, you're always going to find those hazards or risks on site which you hadn't accounted for mm-hmm. uh, because they pop up during the construction process. Um, it's, it's unavoidable. Um, and you can't you can't charge extra for it unless you've got an agreement in place to yeah. charge these things. You, you can't, you know, if I'm just doing a risk assessment for something, uh, for one small element, you know, I'm not going to bother approaching the client and going through a whole fee review process. It's just not worth it sometimes. Uh, but yeah, it, it's um, you get all the risks and hazards together at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's it's what they call so far as reasonably practicable. So you've you've looked at all the risks so far as reasonably practicable. And then others pop up halfway through and you review those and you mitigate those so far as reasonably practicable. Uh, so yeah, two pronged, yes, uh, definitely. But it's um it's sometimes it's it's a case of well you've got to do it just because it, you have to do it. It's your job to do it. Yeah. You have a moral obligation to, to do it rather than a professional. Okay, I see. And I know we touched a bit on AI before, but I wanted to talk about the emerging technologies um, in the field at the moment. Well, I, you know, I, I was talking to you earlier on about drones, mm. and I think that is uh, is an emerging technology. It's not used as much as it should be, or it could be. Yeah. Um, and if you can now send a drone out over a, over a site, you can program in the. Um, uh, the site with the flight plan on the computer it will just fly around and scan the ground um, and produce, within minutes produce a topographical view of the site you can also send uh, it is possible now 
to send drones over a construction site and they can hazard spot. Yeah. You know, they can see that someone's not wearing a hard hat, for example, mm -hmm. because it's all been programmed into them. I've got a little bit of a problem with that because I, you know, I spent 23 years perfecting my, my, my practice yeah. and, um, and the way I do things. And I don't think you're ever going to be able to replace that human eye. And yes, something can see that someone hasn't got a hard hat on, mm. but computers can only see two things. They can see yes or no, yeah. binary. Um, they can see black, white. They can see you know, that in that element. Um, you need to ask a question as to why that man's not got his person hasn't got their hard hat on. Mm -hmm. You need to ask why there is no edge protection around that that, that excavation, um, and, and and computers won't ask that question. Mm -hmm. They'll just go, "That's wrong. That's wrong. That's right." Mm -hmm. So I, th I think we need to make sure we we don't run before we can walk with, mm -hmm. with AI and taking over this sort of role. So um, so yeah, drones can can. You know, I think are an emerging thing in technology, emerging technology, and there's a there's a big use for those internally and externally. Do you um, not think that perhaps if a drone was used to take a recording of the area and then a professional like yourself was to look back at that footage and make a judgment yourself rather than oh yeah definitely yeah, yeah so that's the stepping stone isn't yeah it? so you've yeah. got me doing it, you've got a drone doing it, and in between you've got us both working symbiotically together to, to make sure yeah, that which we, we makes a lot of makes, sense. makes a lot more sense. That's what um, I've heard a lot about recently, it's called black box AI, where it's sort of using this technology to work alongside people, mm, yeah. so rather than it being a sort of um, like putting us on the path to doomsday where technology takes over the world and takes all of our jobs, it's actually something that is much more likely to help us before it harms us, yeah. which sounds like the same in this instance. Um, I don't know, have you heard of FYLD? It's like a new type of digital risk assessment. Um, yeah. It's like an app. Uh, we were looking into it a bit earlier, which is very similar to what you've just said, where, but not with a drone, people will go on site and um, whoever's on site, if it's one of the construction workers, um, they can take a recording of the area and then this app will send it to a central system and then that will detect all of the health and safety risks, which, yeah, like you said... Yeah, that, 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 that worries me. That, mm. that scares me a little because, you're, again, you're relying on a computer to spot everything mm. and I, I don't think we're there yet. I really don't think we are at that level in, in, in uh, tech that um, they can spot everything that a trained human could spot. Mm. What, how much of a difference does it make for you going on site? Because I know um, you recently wrote an article about mental health risks and that side of the health and safety spectrum. Um, what does it do for you going on to site and interacting with the workers as opposed to being behind a screen and seeing and recording? Um, it's important to be able to um, look these people in the eye and ask them what they're doing, mm -hmm. ask them why they're doing it. Because ultimately, health and safety is not just not just the contractor making sure that all his subcontractors are working properly. It's does, do the, the actual chappy on the ground, do they understand why they're doing what they're doing and, yeah. and, and what their, their end goal is? Or are they just sitting there and just doing something because they've been told to do it? Yeah. You know, and it's important to, to, to look at these people, look at these people in the eye and, and ask them these questions and have that interaction. So you as a professional can assess, okay, well, I don't think this is going the right way yeah. because I don't think these people actually understand what they're doing 
yeah. and it worries me that you know, they're, they're just going to blindly go ahead and do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, and getting out there on site is it, it, absolutely what we need to be doing, rather than sitting in an office looking, th looking at things on a screen. Mm -hmm. Do you speak to sort of the workers on site? Yes, yeah, yeah. We, you, have, you have a conversation, you build a, little ban a bit of banter with them, you know, yeah. and um, it's about building trust. Yeah. It's health and safety at the end of the day. Nobody likes the health and safety guy walking around the site. Oh, here he comes, flaming health and safety, going to send me home for not wearing my heart out or something. Mm. You need to build a rapport with these guys. Get a bit of banter going on. Hey, have a joke about the football teams. You know, have a joke about this, that, you know, where they come from. I was talking to a guy this morning on the site, comes from Australia, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I was having a laugh with him about you know, how long it's going to take him to get home next week when he's going back to Australia. And we, in doing so, I was able to see what he was doing. Having that banter, I was able to sort of look around, have mm -hmm. a, whilst having that conversation, and you know, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what I was doing. Yeah. But he felt relaxed. He felt relaxed enough to talk to me about his job, mm. you know, and, to, and tell me what he was doing and why he was doing it. Um, uh, and yeah, having that one-on-one -on -one time yeah. helps. Um, so back to mental health, I wanted to ask what kind of pressures exist in you know, a construction workplace and how, how businesses might overcome them? Oh, there's, there's a lot of different ways that um, mental health is uh, affected by the pressures in construction. I mean, using the obvious one is, um, is, is pressure for programme. Mm -hmm. A client will say, I want, uh, we're going to start now and then we're going to finish because I want to move into a new house at Christmas. That's your programme. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, that, that date is, is not movable. Mm -hmm. But this date, the start date, that seems to always be movable because, mm -hmm. because of, or we haven't finished the design or we have, we've got complications with this, we haven't got this in place. We've got a long lead item that, um, that's going to, it's, it's going to take 12 weeks to, to order. Mm -hmm. So once that start date is sort of encroaching mm -hmm. into your programme, people have got to work faster yeah. and work harder. And sometimes, thankfully not very often, but sometimes they work too fast mistakes get made okay you know so it, it has that pressure on someone to to deliver that program no and, and and no less for the for the actual contract manager or the principal contractor who's going to sit there and go you know the client wants to move in now and we, we haven't even finished the floor slab mm -hmm. you know so and it, the pressure can get to them and they can just go just you know what i've had enough i've had enough of this yeah so it goes back to me talking to the people on site you talk to them because they're going to tell you Oh, the program is rubbish. I can't. We've got to do X, Y, and Z, and we've got to do it in this period. Yeah. And you can see that it's affecting them. Um, and uh, you know, there's not a lot we can do about it as a health and safety consultant, other than report it to the client and go, "Look, you know, you've got to be a bit more realistic with this program." Mm -hmm. And he or she can either go, "Well, yeah, okay, I'll give you a bit more time," or "Sorry," uh, and it, it can go either way. Um. And sort of onto your own, um, like I guess maybe mental health. How do you maintain a good work-life balance? If I find myself um, doing work all the time. I, if you look at my holiday photographs, for example, you'll see halfway through my holiday photographs, um, some scaffolding, <laughs> or some some random chappy up a up a ladder. You know, because I am that sort of person. But that's how I uh, that's how I manage my mental health. Mm. I I just focus on what I'm doing in the, in the moment. Mm -hmm. you know, so if I'm at work, I'll make sure that I'm focused on work. If I'm at home, I'll try and focus on work on my home life. Mm -hmm. But for my own sanity, I need to keep checking on things. Yeah. Uh, because if something goes wrong, when I get back to work, 
then I, I need to know about it. Yeah. So in a way that allows you to switch off from yeah. touching base every now and yeah, then. Yeah, just keep checking in. I'll keep checking my emails. I mean, I'll, it, it, my wife knows that you know uh, if I get an email that comes in that is important and I have to action it, I'll do it. Yeah, and I'll do it there and then. Um, but uh, you know, mainly, it's about just heading things off at the pass and making sure that I'm not going to come back mm -hmm. with a whole load of rubbish that I've got to deal with. Yeah, I guess it's the kind of relieving you of the stress of knowing that when you get back to work that first day back that you're going to have a ton of emails that you have to kind of go through <laughs> if you've gone through them a bit already then it's not as daunting yeah it's perhaps. not unusual to come back from a week's week off to sort of perhaps 1500 emails that's mm -hmm. coming over the week you know but um my early on or later on last year um my wife said, said right okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna put a stop to some of this mm -hmm. you know i'm gonna make sure you're busy on a saturday so my youngest daughter wanted to go and start sailing so we bought a little sailing dinghy and I have to go over there, take her over to the sailing club every Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon. And that kind of um, means exactly. that there's no Wi-Fi signal over there, oh. very, very little signal. So, um, yeah, I can, I, can, I can have sort of half a day off, mm. uh, which I'll, I'll give her that. Yeah, <laughs> nice. It's funny that it's the other way around. Normally it's the parents trying to take the kids somewhere where there's no Wi-Fi connection. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Um, just finally, we asked our last guest to come up with a question that they thought um, would be good to ask you. So they said, what would you say is the best piece of advice you have been given in the industry? Mm. Best piece of advice I've been given? I think ask questions. Okay. There's no point in going into a meeting and someone start referring to... Um, uh, acronyms and stuff that you don't understand and you sit there and blindly go oh, everybody else seems to want to know what's going on here so I'll just look it up on Google when I get out of it ask questions, mm -hmm. don't leave it till later ask questions there and then uh, or at least immediately after the meeting so that you know what's going on because yeah. it's, very, it's very easy to lose track of things mm -hmm. um, so I, yeah, I think the best bit of advice I was given was ask questions there's no such thing in health and safety as a stupid question Yeah. there's many stupid answers yeah. but no such thing as a stupid question okay well, that's excellent. Thank you so much, You're Chris. Very this has been a really interesting chat. You've had a very interesting life from the Navy and yeah. to working on generators and, like you said, um, at the Derby... Derby Hippodrome. Derby Hippodrome. I'm going to have to look that up afterwards. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's been a great chat. Thank you for lending us your time. You're very welcome. And thank you very much to all of our listeners for tuning in. We hope you enjoy this episode and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.